Well, welcome in for week three of our Jesus I Never Knew series. And uh, from wherever you are, wherever you're tuning in at here in London, Somerset, Williamsburg, online, wherever you are, we're glad uh, that you're with us. And uh, I'm excited about the opportunity uh, to bring the content today, to speak to you today, to, to share a couple of things uh, from God's word with you today. But before we do that, I wanna, I wanna let you know something about myself. Maybe you can relate to this. I'm not sure, but I hate being told what to do, right? Anybody out there? I got one yes. All right, Somerset, Williamsburg, I hate being told what to do, all right? If that's you, why don't you just lift your hand up? Just, just participate, get in this thing with me today. All right, both hands. Some people got both hands up, all right? We're going to have a good time today, all right? I can tell that. I like that. I hate being told what to do, especially when you're a kid and you don't understand why. You guys know what I'm talking about? Remember back when, when you were kids? <laughs> when we were kids? And the worst thing ever is whenever you were a kid and your parent told you to do something and you said, why? And they said... Because I said so, that's right. Why? That's not a reason. That's not a reason. You gotta give me more than that. Come on, parents, you gotta do better than that. Give me something more than because I said so. Because I said so. We hate that. We wanna know why we're supposed to do what we're supposed to do. Now, there was a particular day whenever I was in fourth grade and uh, I lived up in Science Hill, Kentucky. It's just north of, north of Somerset, so everybody over there knows where that is. Maybe some of uh, folks in Williamsburg, some of the folks here know. But it's just north of Somerset, uh, up on 27, and uh, Science Hill had built a new school. And my house happened to be directly beside the old school. And they had this old gym in there. It was one of those kind of gyms that the floor was tile, and it was also the cafeteria. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, literally, the the, the uh, tables fell down from the walls. But anyway, uh, and at one end, there was a uh, stage. So they would do their productions and plays and stuff in there. So we lived right beside the old school. And because I loved basketball, uh, my dad sort of struck up this deal where, hey, we'll give you a key to the gym if you guys will just kind of keep it clean, change the light bulbs, kind of keep it up, maintain it or whatever. So like we struck gold right there, right? Because I can invite all my friends over. We have a legitimate gym that we can go play basketball in. So we were over there one day and my dad was changing some light bulbs um, on a wooden extension ladder. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I saw him fall and almost die there, uh, hit the ground running. Uh, so that was fun. But uh, we, that particular day, he was mopping the floor. Uh, as we were finishing up, he was gonna mop the floor, clean it up or whatever. And so if you can imagine with me, underneath one end, under the basket is the stage. And just to the left of the stage is basically a hallway where you walk around the stage uh, and you can walk up the back of the stage. But the, the breakers for the lights were up on the stage. And so my dad, knowing what I normally do, which is take off from wherever I am, run and jump up onto the stage to hit the breakers because he's like, hey son, we're leaving, go turn the lights out. Knowing that I normally do that, he's walking out the door, he says, turn the lights out. By the way, don't run and jump on the stage because the floor's wet. Walk around, take the time to walk around, go up there and turn the lights off. So I was like, what does he know, right? He obviously underestimates my athletic ability. So he goes through the hallway, he's out of sight, so I'm like, Psh, I can do this. So I take off and I jump off my left foot. And the next thing I remember, <laughs> I had a moment of consciousness. I was laying sideways, it was snowing outside, my dad was carrying me. I was, I was doing this. I was bouncing. I was like, it's snowing. And the next thing after that that I remember is waking up in my bed later that day. Now, I'm no doctor. But like they didn't, 
They didn't take me to the doctor. They, they didn't call. They couldn't like Google it or anything. I'm pretty sure I was concussed, right? It was like, oh, he'll be fine. Put him in the bed. He'll wake up. You know, he's breathing, whatever. I don't know. I've asked him like, what were you thinking? He's like, eh, you're good. You're good. But in that moment, you know, I, I did not want to be told what to do. I even knew a little bit like this is dangerous. This is probably stupid, but I can do this. Don't tell me what to do. That's kind of that's where I was coming from, and we can probably all relate to that. Because none of us really like being told what to do. That's the truth. And even if we don't say that and actually feel that, although we pretty much do, we even subconsciously just sort of rebel and reject what we're told to do. And so we're going to talk about a lovely word today that we all love, that we all can't get enough of. It's this word right here called obedience. Woo! Calm down. Obedience. This is a bad word, man. This, this is not a cool word. We send dogs to school to learn this, right? Obedience. We rebel against it. We don't like to obey. Here's the truth, though. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this either, but uh, I feel like as I'm getting older, it's easier for me to obey. It's not because I'm getting smarter. I think it's because I realize I'm actually really stupid. Like the older I get, the more I realize I don't know anything. Is anybody else in that boat? Like you realize how dumb you really are? Like the other day I was thinking about some stuff that I did and some things that I've learned and I was like, how have I survived? What in the world? Luckily I have a, a very wise wife and I just basically obey her now, okay? And she helps me out. Uh, she's, she's a lot smarter than me. Uh, and there's a whole lot of truth to that. Uh, but in all seriousness, it is hard for us to obey. It is hard for us to embrace this idea of obedience, and we just kind of naturally resist that thing. And, and a big problem with that is, is that that tends to creep into our spiritual life as well. It's really just unavoidable. Uh, and, and that becomes a big problem because if you think about it, uh, the spiritual is, is immaterial and non-physical things. And, and if we're chasing after those things and we believe those things to be true, then those things are absolutely true. So how illogical is it to not do what those things say. That's just dumb, all right? That's just dumb. So our rebellion, it kind of, rebellion, it kind of follows us into our spiritual life. And, and the truth is, is that for some of you, uh, when you think about Jesus or uh, what you know of Jesus or how you know Jesus, uh, the Jesus that you know, uh, you've, what you've done is you've looked at the world and you've observed some things. And here's one of the things that you've probably observed, some of us. You've observed that religion equals restriction. If you look through history, if you look at just religion, you, you, you've observed that religion equals restriction. And then the next logical leap for you was, well, if that's true, then Jesus must equal restriction. When you just kind of assume, well, Jesus must equal restriction. And so that's the Jesus you know. It's a Jesus that, that comes in and he has rules and he has regulations and he says, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And, and you know, he's pointing his finger at you and all that sort of thing. And that has shaped your, your uh, acquaintance with Jesus and your knowledge of God and how you see Jesus and how you see God. And so here you are, that, that's, that's kind of just how you see the situation, that Jesus equals restriction. I'm not really into that. I'm kind of resisting that or whatever. So, so sadly, that is how you know Jesus. Now, some of us have gone farther. Some of us have gone farther and we've actually gotten to know Jesus that can give us eternal life. And so we believe that Jesus equals eternal life. Amen? 
We believe that Jesus equals eternal life. We know that. But many of us have stopped at knowing a Jesus that gives us eternal life, and we've never gotten to know the Jesus that gives us a better life. We've said, Jesus, we'll take the get out of hell free card. Thank you very much. Now I'm going to go about my merry way and my business and live my life the way I want to live my life. And that's what we know of Jesus is that he's this, he's this God who gives us eternal life. But I'm not really interested in getting to know the other side of Jesus because Jesus said that, that he came to give us life and give us abundant life and give us a better life here. And, and he gave us all these sort of guides and ways that we should live our life in order to have a good life here. And, and he talked about what that meant. But in reality, many of us don't know that side of Jesus. The Jesus we know is the one who either is just restrictive or is the one that just gives us eternal life. And we're happy with that, we're content with that, and then we just go on. We never bother to consult him. We never bother to look and see what he says. We never bother to pray and ask. We never bother to be sensitive to his promptings and, and the way he may be telling us to go. And so that's the Jesus that we know. Now Luke, in scripture, in the book of Luke, he tells us about some fishermen who were also learning who Jesus was. They were learning who he was and they were sort of beginning to know him on different levels. A couple of them, they'd already had an encounter with Jesus. We actually talked about that encounter a couple weeks ago where uh, John the Baptist uh, sent his followers after Jesus and one of those was Andrew. And Andrew was like, oh man, I gotta go tell my brother Peter about this. So he goes tells Peter, Andrew and Peter are in the story that Luke is about to tell us. And they're just trying to figure out who Jesus is. And Luke tells us this in chapter five, that one day as Jesus was standing by the lake uh, of what, however, how you say that? Somebody tell me. It's the Sea of Galilee, all right? It's the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> Luke, Luke's a doctor. He's trying to sound smart. All right, here we go. I'm not the one to read Luke. Okay, here we go. The people were crowding around him and they were listening to the word of God. So Jesus is out here standing by the Sea of Galilee and he's preaching the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets, okay? So here's what this means. They were washing their nets. This means they've been out all night, they've been fishing, and now they're cleaning things up. They're putting stuff back together. They're getting ready to go and get some sleep for the day because they're wore out and they're tired. And we're about to find out that they've been out all night and caught nothing, <laughs> okay? So you've heard it said that a bad day fishing is better than a good day at work, right? Uh-huh. Well, these guys had a bad day fishing and fishing was work, so I don't know how you figure that out, but was that good or bad? I'm not sure. Maybe it's neutral. But that's their situation. They've been out all night. They didn't catch a thing. Now they're cleaning these nets up. Jesus sees them over there, and, and Jesus is about to interrupt their day. Okay, Jesus is about to interrupt them. Again, they're tired, they're probably frustrated. They've probably been bickering with each other because it's like, ah, oh, we should have fished over here in this creek. We should have run up to Wolf Creek or we should have went up to Fishing Creek. Or we should have went to a different lake. We should have went to Laurel Lake. We should have, you fishing for smallmouth, you should have been, you know, you know how that is. It's just tense. It's not convenient. And Jesus is about to step into it, right into their situation and hijack their day. So he got into one of the boats. The one belonging to Simon, that's Peter, Simon Peter. And he asked him to put out a little bit from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water 
and let down the nets for a catch. Now, when Jesus first approached, he asked Simon to go out in the water a little bit. But this time he says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a request to me. It sounds like an order. There's no, hey, Peter, if you don't mind, Peter, would you please, Peter, whatever. He says, put the boat out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And so Simon answered, Master, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Now, the fact that Peter calls him master is significant because it speaks of the fact that they've already met each other like, like we talked about. That Peter had already had an encounter with Jesus and that Jesus, he had spent the day with Jesus. And at the very least, Peter had decided, hey, this guy is a teacher. That's what the word master. He's a, he's a good teacher. Okay. So he's probably smarter than me. I'm uneducated. I'm just a fisherman. And so, you know, as far as I know, what I know of Jesus is that he's a teacher. And so he says, teacher, he says, we've worked all night. We're tired. We're frustrated. It's going to be inconvenient. Jesus, this makes no sense. Jesus, this is not the spot where you would catch fish, okay? It's the wrong time. You're trying to fish at the wrong time, Jesus. By the way, Jesus, aren't you a carpenter? I'm a fisherman. You stick to working with wood and I'll stick to catching the fish. Wish he'd have said that. Jesus would have been like, how'd you do last night? <laughs> He's probably nicer than that. No, I don't know. But it's an inconvenience. This is gonna take work. This is gonna take energy. This is going to take effort. And so now Peter has been asked to do something by Jesus. And he gets to decide, am I gonna obey or disobey? Am I gonna obey or disobey? And this is what he continues to say. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because I said so. Because you say so, master, I will let down the nets. Now, I don't know why exactly he chose to do it. Maybe he thought, oh, maybe, there's, maybe there's something you know that I don't know. I don't really want to cause a big scene and a big fuss with the other guys. So we'll just let down the nets. Let's humor this guy. Let's humor you, master. We let down the nets. Not because I think this is a good idea, Jesus. Not because this makes sense. But don't miss this because this is Peter's first step of obedience. This is his first step of obedience. And Peter had no idea in this moment, what hung in the balance. Because this one step of obeying Jesus would lead to a miracle that we're about to see that would change the trajectory of Peter and Peter's friend's life forever, forever. See, Peter would become the leader of Jesus' disciples. He would become the leader of the early church Peter would become such a prominent figure in the church that they would bury him and they would build this huge church building around them called St. Peter's Basilica. And you can go there today and millions of people will go and they will see the place where Peter, this same fisherman, this uneducated goon. And it all started 
with this step of obedience to say, because you say so, we'll do this, Jesus. Because you say so. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come over and to help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. That's a lot of fish. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. Not master anymore. You must be Lord. You must be God. You must be divine. Because I've never seen anything like this. He said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I'm a sinful man. See, Peter realizes in this moment that Jesus really is God. And now Peter, as he's getting to know Jesus, he's like, okay, now I know that you're God and I know that you're powerful. Now here's a really important question. What kind of God are you? Are you a good God who's for me? Or are you angry? Are you judging me? You know what, I better hedge my bets and just bow down and say, get, uh, just, just get away from me, Lord, I'm sinful. That's not a bad play, Peter. What kind of God is he? For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I'm going to make you into something else. I'm going to make you into something new. Peter, <laughs> Jesus is essentially saying, I'm good. You don't have to be afraid, Peter. Peter, I'm good. Peter, I want what's best for you. Peter, I want to make your life better. Peter, I want to give you life forever. Peter, I'm, I'm for you. I'm a good God. You have nothing to fear. Just like John 3, 17 says that he was sent into this world, Jesus that is, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Jesus says, Peter, I'm not restriction. Peter, I'm freedom. Peter, you don't understand what's about to happen. I'm about to make you fishers of men. I'm about to send you out on a mission. I'm about to make you a follower of me. I'm, to, I'm about to teach you the way to live your life that will be better and greater than any way you could possibly do it on your own. Don't be afraid of my plan for you, Peter. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of, of what this means for your family. You don't have to be afraid of what this means for your friends or how your friends may perceive you if you decide to follow. And so they pulled their boats up to shore, they left everything, and they followed him. They followed Jesus that day. Because on the other side of Peter's obedience was a miracle that changed his life, Andrew's life, James' life, and John's life forever. See, you have no idea what God can set in motion through an act of obedience. You have no idea what God can set in motion through your act of obedience. Romans 5.19 says 
that by one man's disobedience, all were made sinners, but by one man, that's Jesus, his obedience, all can be made righteous. You have no idea what God can do with a simple act of obedience. I remember whenever I was trying to decide, Jesse, my wife and I were trying to decide what we were gonna do with our life and we had a plan for our life and, and then Trevor, the pastor here, he called and asked if I would come be on staff here and boy, that didn't line up with our plan. But it became apparent to us over a couple of weeks that that was what God had for us. And we began to fight that and we began to resist that and eventually we gave in and we said, yes, Lord, we'll do what you're asking us to do. And let me tell you something, that decision has changed my life. That decision has changed how I feel about church. It's changed how I feel about God. It's shaped my decisions. It's made my marriage better. It's changed how Jesse and I parent our children it has caused me to have to confront and squish a pride that was in me that would have taken me down and taken my family down and could have been devastating. I'm telling you, I had a path to go down. Jesus said, no, go this way. We decided to obey and it changed everything. I don't even wanna think about where our life would have been. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure I would still be married. I'm not sure I would have the two beautiful daughters that I have. I dang sure wouldn't have the life that I have the way it is. And so I'm so grateful that in that moment we were able to muster up the will to be obedient to what God was saying to us. And here's the thing about obedience. Feeling and knowing are not obedience. Doing is. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that feeling and knowing are not obedience, but actually doing what you feel and know, that is obedience. Nothing changed for Peter and his friends until Peter actually obeyed. Peter could have made a different decision. Peter could have decided to do it his own way could have decided to say, Jesus, dude, you don't know what you're talking about, man. Not doing this. Nothing changed until he actually did it. Sometimes God will prompt you to do things. You'll feel it. You'll know it. But you gotta actually do it because you never know what God can set in motion through an act of obedience. A couple years ago, Zach and Jared and I, Zach's our worship leader, Jared leads our media team. We were in LA for a conference and we were at uh, Grand Central Market having lunch. Zach was eating the biggest taco I've ever seen. I took a picture of him taking a bite of it because it was so big. Anyway, we were sitting there and this is, this is whenever tensions were really, really high, racial tensions were high between the police and the African-American community. And there was all kinds of stuff being said on the news and, and things were tense and things were dangerous and police officers were getting killed and civilians were getting killed. And I was sitting there eating lunch and wasn't really looking for a prompting, but God said, I looked out the corner of my eye and I saw these two LA police officers ordering lunch. 
And I know as plain as day to this day, I will, I, will, I will go to my grave telling you this, that God said, go over there and encourage them. Just go over there and tell them thank you. Tell them you appreciate what they're doing. Tell them you'll be praying for them. Go ahead and pray with them right here in the middle of this place. You know what I did? Nothing. Sat there, ate my lunch. I thought, man, people will think I'm stupid. What if they think I'm stupid? What if they say, get away from What if they think? All these lies started coming into my head and flooding my mind and flooding my soul and I allowed them to overtake what God was saying to me. And so I ate my lunch and I left. I didn't say anything to Zach or Jared. Later I told them because I already started feeling bad about it. And you may say, though, that's silly. That's insignificant. Here's the thing, man. To this day, I wonder, what were those people going through? What had they just seen? What were they about to see? What was going on in their life? What if I had obeyed God and his prompting and went and said that to them? What if I had encouraged them? Maybe that's what they needed. Apparently it was. What is it that was not set in motion that day that should have been? I'll never forget it. It's as real to me as you are sitting there. See, sometimes we sit in church week after week. We hear, we get the feels. You know what I mean? We get the feels, we feel it. We play the keys at the end. And what he's saying makes sense. And oh God, I feel it. And I know it. It's logical. What he's saying, it's logical. It makes sense. Yes. But feeling and knowing are not obedience. Because somewhere between feeling and knowing and the comfort of these buildings and getting home and getting to the week, the feeling fades and we never actually do what we know to be right and what we know to be true. So get the feels, yeah, feel it, please. God gives you those feelings, God gives you those promptings. Understand and know what he's asking you to do, but also understand that that's not enough. Obedience is actually doing. What if you stopped being content with only knowing the Jesus that gives you eternal life? You may not even have realized that that's the Jesus you knew. You may think, hey, everything's good, I'm good, I'm following Jesus. But if you stop and think for a moment and you look over your life and you look over how you treat people and you look over how well you actually follow what Jesus has asked you to do, you may begin to realize, I'm really taking advantage of the Jesus that gives eternal life and not getting to know the Jesus that can give me a better life. Here's what Peter realized. Peter realized that Jesus was God and then Peter realized that Jesus was good. So here's what I come to tell you. If he's God and he's good, then he's my God. If he's God and he's good, then he's my God. That makes sense. It's logical. God plus good equals God. 
Because if he's God, then he knows more than I know. He knows everything. He's smarter than me. And if he's good, then he loves me. And he wants what's best for me. And he's not leading me down paths that are gonna harm me, but paths that are gonna help me and mold me and make me better. It's not always easy. It's not always rainbows and sunshines. You will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But it will be better in the end. He's my guide. He's my guide, not just because he tells me what to do, but because he is the example of obedience. Paul said in Philippians 2.8 that Jesus was obedient all the way to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. God told him to. And Jesus said, yes, yes. And his step of obedience freed us all. If he's God and he's good, then he has to be our guide, right? I mean, if you went on a safari in Africa, you got a guide and he tells you, hey, don't wear that white hat because lions think that that's this particular prey. And if you wear that white hat, they're probably going to charge you. You know what you're going to do? You're going to get rid of that hat. Is that safari guide good? I don't know if he's good or not, but I'm trusting him because he knows more than me. If he says, don't take pictures of the lions, don't roar at the lions, you goon. <laughs> Whatever he tells you to do, keep your arms in the thing, don't try to feed, whatever, you're going to do it because you trust that he has your safety in mind because hopefully he's not a lunatic and he's not, you know, this isn't his last day at work. <laughs> you just kind of blindly trust him. And here's the deal. How fitting is it that Peter, this very same Peter who got to know Jesus in a different way on that day, wrote these words in 1 Peter 5a, that your enemy, the devil, roams around like a lion seeking someone to destroy. Jesus knows that. God knows that. And Jesus knows best how to keep you protected from the enemy. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't fit your mold, even if it's inconvenient, even if it's embarrassing, he's God and he's good. And the bottom line is that if you trust his goodness, you'll follow his guidance. If you trust his goodness, you'll follow his guidance. If you trust his goodness, you'll go so far as to seek his guidance. You'll actually open the book. You'll look through it. What does he say? How should I handle this? How should I live my life? You'll begin to pray and seek and ask him to guide you and to prompt you and to help you because Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm sending the spirit to help you. He's gonna be with you. And you'll start listening to that spirit when it prompts you to do good and to love. You'll seek his ways and you'll begin to obey. You'll begin to love people. You'll begin to be patient with people. You'll begin to be a peacemaker. You'll begin to forgive people. You'll begin to be generous. You'll begin to serve. You'll begin to put others first. You'll begin to turn the other cheek. 
You'll begin to serve before anything else. You'll become a man and a woman of your word. Because Jesus said, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. You'll become a person who says, whatever I do, I'm gonna do it with all my heart. As if I'm doing it for God. Because that's what scripture teaches. You'll follow his ways. Not only his ways, but you'll follow his promptings. Listen, when God prompts you to give, when God prompts you to serve, when God prompts you to invite someone or encourage someone, just do it. No questions asked, just obey. Just go ahead and put your yes on the table today. Go ahead and put your yes on the table. And remember this, obedience is your responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is your responsibility. The outcome is God's responsibility. Don't worry about what happens. Don't worry about what they're gonna do with that money. If he says give it, you give it. Because he gave it to you in the first place. And two more things, delayed obedience is disobedience. And partial obedience is disobedience. So here's the deal. He's good. He is good. And we can trust his guidance. If you can trust his goodness, you can trust his guidance. So why don't you just put your yes on the table today? Why don't you get unsatisfied with only knowing the Jesus that gives you an eternal life? Or maybe if you're here and you think that Jesus is just restriction and something has piqued your interest and you wanna know more about that, why don't you come down here in just a moment and ask some questions? Why don't you stop by Next Steps? Why don't you ask somebody that brought you or that you're here with or that you're an acquaintance with to tell you more about how Jesus is freedom? Because if he's God, wouldn't it be worth finding out that he's good? And if he's good, wouldn't it be worth going ahead and giving him your yes today? If you would, on every campus, go ahead and just stand to your feet with me. In just a couple of moments, I'm going to pray for us and then the band's going to come at each campus. And I just want to let you know that at, at whatever location you're at today, while we're singing this next song, if you want to come find a place down front to kneel and to pray, maybe to put your yes on the table, maybe to pray about something totally unrelated to today's message, or if you want to come down and have somebody pray for you, some of our pastors and staff will be down front. They'll be there for you. They'll be ready to pray with you. We would love to do that. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll see. Father, Lord, we are grateful to you for Jesus. And God, we are grateful for Jesus being our guide and leading by example and obeying when it was inconvenient, when it was painful, when it didn't make sense to him, when he would have rather done anything else, God, he obeyed. And God, I pray that this morning, many of us would go ahead and just put our yes on the table, God. Maybe we just need to recommit to that today. Maybe there was a time when we did, but we've wavered and we've kind of swayed away. God, I pray that today we would recommit 
that area of our life, Lord, that, that we trust that you are good and we trust that you are our guide. And God, we're gonna put our complete yes on the table. So Lord, however you've said to live and however you prompt us, that's what we're gonna seek to do. And so as we sing this together, if you need to come pray, if you need to be prayed for, please come.